Our sponsor today is Morning Egg Clips. Morning Egg Clips is America's number one daily ag news service, designed to be a quick and easy read. It will help you stay up to date on the important headlines in both local and national agriculture every business morning. You can go to their website at www.morningagclips.com to sign up or peruse the headlines. Connect with them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Your Morning Ag Clips will help to keep you in the know. Hi, and welcome to the North American Ag Roundtable. I'm Chrissy Wozniak. We've partnered with Metis USA to bring industry leaders together once a month to discuss a topic at the forefront of North American agriculture. Today, we're going to be discussing the future of farm shows, uh, what needs to change, and what is essential to preserve. And uh, Derek from Metis USA is actually at uh, the John Deere booth at Husker Harvest Days right now. So he's going to kind of give a little intro as well. So I'll turn it over to you, Derek. Hey, thanks, Chrissy. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be a part of this. Metis USA is excited for basically really expanding on what you started with the uh, North American Ag Roundtable uh, webinar series last year, you know, we're doing these a couple times or, you know, once a month here. I think we're, we're hitting a really topical uh, conversation today because, as you can see, I am at Husker Harvest Days right here in front of the John Deere booth. I'm, I'm doing my best Brent Adams. Hey, welcome to Farm Life uh, impression here as I walk around holding my camera. But thank you for uh, for <laughs> thanks for uh, letting us be a part of it. I look forward to the conversation today. If anybody uh, is down here at Husker Harvest Days, I hope you had a great show. It's been a good turnout so far. Uh, lots of people walking around, lots of people asking questions for the first time. Uh, getting this face-to-face interaction is, uh, we really, really missed it last year. So I'm I'm happy to be doing the circuit here this year. Awesome. All right. So let me introduce our panel today. First, um, I want to introduce Jim Mandis from Hershey, Pennsylvania. He's the uh, Northern Regional Sales Manager at Crone North America. And Jim has a deep understanding of the sales process of territory management. His perspective as a manufacturer who has uh, traditionally committed a large portion of the marketing budget to trade shows will be invaluable to this discussion. Uh, next, uh, Andy DeLava from Raleigh, North Carolina. He is marketing manager, uh, dairy marketing manager at Hordes Dairy. Andy was involved in the launch of the New York Farm Show in 1985 and was president and chairman of the board in the uh, until the, the late 1980s. With Hordes Dairy, he's traveled the show circuit across the USA extensively. That's where I met him and got to know him well. Uh, Brent Adams is from Louisville, Kentucky. He's vice president of content development and programming at Farm Life Agri-Media. Brent's the host of the Inside Farm Life podcast. He's an award-winning content creator and has a history of success in many forms of media, newspapers, television, radio, and public relations. And his uh, his creativity is very inspiring. So I'm I'm excited to hear uh, his views. Uh, Jessa Allen is from Washington, D.C., and she is vice president of membership and events at U.S. Apple. They are the voice of the Apple industry. Uh, They represent and advocate for the entire industry behind America's most consumed fruit. Jessica is responsible for U.S. Apple's membership program and events and has a diverse experience with professional trade associations. And uh, and I know they've been pretty creative over the last year, so it'll be great to hear from her. Gary Schultz is founder and CEO of Gary Schultz Consulting from Tulare, California. And he managed and marketed World Ag Expo, the world's largest agricultural trade show uh, to over 60 countries. He grew the trade show from 700 exhibitors to over 1,500 with over 2 million square feet of exhibits. So Gary knows trade shows inside and out, and I'm super excited for what he has to say. 
So thank you uh, all for being here. Um, so let's begin. So given the events and circumstances over the last year and a half, uh, do you think that the way trade shows are held and attended has forever changed? Andy, let's start with you. Well, I would say yes, in that COVID was a final reality check for some manufacturers who've grown dissatisfied in recent years with the expense of exhibiting at shows compared to the actual sales that are resulting from them. Um, I think that's especially true considering many of them had uh, their sales in 2020 were actually as good as in previous years without exhibiting expense. Uh, therefore, when you look at that combined with the steady decline in farm numbers and hence fewer farmers coming each year to events, all shows must now find some creative ways to deliver better experience for both the exhibitor and the farmer in order to maintain what has always been their really dynamic value as a unique event for them to meet at. Absolutely. Jessa, what do you think? Of course, yes, forever changed. But I would say too, I think now, even from the event planning perspective, just the presence of thinking about safety now, like I think before we would go in mindset of pulling these events off of the experience for the attendees and, you know, entertainment or just the whole vibe that's going to happen, but that safety and having our attendees feel safe in that environment is just, I think now is always going to be at the forefront of our mind versus kind of in the, the back thought about bigger things, you know, with bigger threats, you know, more generic things that we would worry about versus, you know, just face-to-face interaction. How do we keep people safe? Um, I think that will always be dominating now. For sure. And Gary? You know, I think there's a difference um, to your question between, how they're held versus how they're attended. I think, first of all, the United States and Canada and New Zealand and so on, Paris, uh, the world is is a different place having experienced this pandemic. And we see that municipalities in each of those places reacts differently to, I mean, from today and almost on a daily basis uh, what restrictions there might be um, as a result of COVID. So the rules on holding a show will vary. I mean, turn on turn on ESPN on Saturday morning and see the uh, uh, see the crowds at the football games. No masks and so on. The CEOs that I work with in my consulting practice are very much about getting back to normal, being outside. Uh, as much as you can. Sure, most of them are vaccinated and, and pushing ahead. But I think the, the state and the county specifically uh, will dictate some of the rules on how the show's held in terms of, um, in terms of any screening, in terms of, in some cases, perhaps even, you know, vaccination passports and those sorts of things. But in in business, agriculture, and politics, the pendulum has a way of swinging, and I'm I'm confident that in the near future we're going to be back to normal in terms of how we can hold these shows. You know, I, I after September 11th, 20 years ago, the way that we held shows 
changed drastically. And it was it was not just uh, the security. And at in Tulare, we actually inspected every single shipment that came in, every single vehicle that came in to set up. Uh, we wanted people to be aware that we that their safety was number one. In terms of attending shows, I think uh, farmers and growers and dairymen and professionals. Um, are are going to have some additional challenges in terms of traveling. Air travel is is different today than it was pre-COVID. I think that's going to evolve uh, depending on the statistics of variants and that sort of thing. But those uh, those growers, dairymen, and so on that are driving to the show, you know, I think it's going to be like driving to a college football game. And the local, you know, the, the local municipality is going to have more to do with that, I think, than, uh, than the show will. And, I, and so I think, um, you know, the, the person that's going to attend is going to have to answer in his or her own mind, is this, uh, have, have the planners made this a safe event? Am I properly prepared, whether it's vaccination or Am I going to be required to wear a mask? Uh, any of those sorts of any of those sorts of things. But I think the general population of uh, ag producers and exhibitors are eager to get back into shows, from what I've seen and experienced. Yeah, and Jim, what are you thinking? I'd say to answer your question, my answer is yes. They're forever changed. Uh, I believe the change is well underway before. COVID struck because culture has changed. The way people learn, the way people assess a purchase before they buy was well changed and moving toward connecting with people via social networks. The buyer that buys a machine today, and again, I'm from a manufacturer standpoint, they know more about what they're buying than they did 20 years ago, 10 years ago, three years ago. The relevance of a chain of a trade show, physically seeing machines and talking to reps, is not what it once was. People interact with each other; they interact with their local dealer. And um, when in 1974, I'm sure shows had a value because you couldn't connect and easily un- connect with people all over the earth about how they do things, best practices, their experiences, and. I just think COVID proved to people like me that uh, the expense is not nearly what it uh, once was required to be. And, um, you know, the resources are scarce and you have to make business decisions and what's going to get the best return. And so to answer your question, I'd say yes. I'm not sure COVID was the the only culprit. I just think the world was the culprit. And uh, we were well on this path and just COVID kind of prove the point to a lot of people. And uh, in closing, I will say that, um, you know, I it doesn't mean shows are over. Don't, I'm not the big, I'm not the, you know, the man of death with the scepter and the black robe saying shows are ending forever. I just think, um, I frankly think paid shows are going to be there for a long time and they're, they're important. But I think the free shows with people, you know, buying hot tubs and the latest honey excrement or CBD, 
uh, I think you're going to see farm equipment manufacturers gradually walking away from those because uh, they're not properly supported by the dealers that have the products. And it's a big expense with no return that manufacturers are just logically going to say, look, we don't need to be here anymore. It's already happened with some shows. And I think it's going to continue that way. It's my opinion. Thank you. Yeah, that's a really great point. Brent, what are you thinking? Well, I tell you what, I talked to a lot of manufacturers at these shows pre-COVID and uh, what Jim is saying is very consistent with what I'm hearing, uh, you know, from a lot of them. I think a lot of them were were on the interstate looking for the exit ramp here and COVID gave them that exit ramp to to uh, kind of, kind of uh, you know, change up the way they do things. And, you know, we can get into this a little bit later on, but I think what you're going to see is more manufacturers start to take their dollars and put them into more uh, you know, personalized experiences where you can get the buyer, the consumer sequestered away from uh, the show and all the other distractions and, and target them directly with a more personal experience that's going to turn them into advocates and fans for, for your brand. So I think you're going to see more of that. I think shows will continue to exist. Uh, you know, as, as human beings, we're, we're wired for that interpersonal connection. And I think there's still people that, uh, that want to go out and kick the tires, want to go out and talk to people face to face, even if they're not intent on buying they may have questions about a piece of equipment or they might not be getting the support they need from, from their dealer manufacturer. So that's their opportunity to uh, corner whoever the representative is there at the show and kind of bend their ear and, and get some insights on how they can get their problem solved. So I think you'll still have that. Plus you also have the nostalgia. I mean, there's still people who, you know, they want to go because that's where they used to go with mom and dad, or that's where they used to go with grandpa. And and that's something that they want to carry on with their kids. And, you know, it's a day out, you know, you go and get your five gallon buckets and your yard sticks and, and whatever else. And, and you walk around and, and you get an elephant ear and you, you, you just take in the sights and sounds and smells. And from that standpoint, from, from a, a, a you know, consumer standpoint, I, I think they'll exist, but but to everybody else's point, you know, the, the world has changed and it was changing, uh, you know, pre-COVID. And I, I think, uh, you know, it, it would be uh, naive to think that, that that's not going to continue on that trajectory. I think now the onus is on those who, um, you know, put these shows together to to get creative here. And I know that's something we'll talk about a bit more in the show, but you know, you got to adapt to that. And uh, I think a lot of people during COVID thought the answer was going to be uh, virtual shows. Uh, you know, we can get into that more later too, but I don't think that that's necessarily the answer is kind of the data has uh, shown us too. So it's definitely uh, a changing time. Yeah, for sure. And that actually leads really well into the next question. And I'm going to preface it by saying that my mind has been changed in the last year and a half. Um, and an example of that is you all here, there are half of you I've never met before, but after a year and a half, I can say that you're friends. So I didn't believe that we could do this, but now like I know Gary, Brent, Jim, I, we can all just call each other and we've never met before. And, uh, and you know, it, it is possible. It completely changed my mind. I did not know it was possible to not have to develop deep relationships without being in person, but I was proven wrong about that. But uh, so on to my question, um, the one thing that, that I love about trade shows, the one thing that I've noticed over the years is that, that the people, the industry people in ag, they have um, developed a very strong network among themselves. And I always call them carnies. 
right, Andy? And uh, um, I've I've always thought it very inspiring to see you know two or three salespeople come together over dinner to solve a problem for a farmer. Um, finding them connections or parts or whatever, and not for profit for themselves, just to help their customer who sees them, sees who they see as a friend. And um, I've seen this countless times over the years. It's that human connection. It's invaluable. So my question is, is it possible to replicate this if we're no longer going to be live at farm shows or if we're reducing that? And uh, uh, Jess, I'll start with you. Well, I do have a philosophy on this of how to replicate it, which I think I'll cover in a a deeper question just to go into it a little deeper with you guys. But I did develop kind of like an online scheduling platform that we titled uh, Core Connect. So I do have thoughts on like technology and different ways that we can do that and kind of block out time just to get people more involved. Um, But like what you were saying with Chrissy, I've just seen with our board of directors, we were tied to just meeting in person twice a year, which was March and August. But once COVID hit, we started meeting on a monthly basis at the third Wednesday of every month. And I would say now our board of directors after, you know, year plus in, into this, stronger, more engaged, more informed, you know, as staff, when we have things that come up on a monthly basis, you know, it's on the ready instead of waiting till they're face to face. So I think that, like, I would say, we're stronger because of that. Um, so that does give me hope that this virtual Zoom, all of these different platforms, we can, I think as long as people are turning their cameras on, I think that really helps just kind of, we'd like to see each other's spaces, obviously. Um, but yeah, I am optimistic about it and um, would like to share just something that US Apple implemented uh, over the past year too, at some point later in this conversation. Absolutely. Jim, what do you think? I think people will continue to connect without shows. Is that a too short of an answer? I think nope, uh, that, that's a good. I think idea. people I think connect. Uh, I think shows are great because you're you're you go out to dinner and you know you're um, the best connection is a personal connection. Okay, so I don't miss. I mean, I love that part of a show. It's my favorite part. Okay, but I think people connect. Uh, other ways now and they have and they will continue to connect shows are um you know i i don't know i think brent said it it's kind of like a reunion in a way um that's great but i'm a businessman too you know and i have to ask myself the question is this a justified expense not to sound like the bad guy but i love connecting with people and i think everybody on this call I mean, I traveled all through the epidemic, the pandemic, and I um, I just got back from Canada. So I still travel. I still connect. And I think people will continue to do that. Um, uh, and I don't think shows are the linchpin for that connection is my answer. But it will happen at shows. And I think, like I said, shows will continue. It's just, you know, just going to be different. I just don't think it's going to be quite as critically important as it once was in our in our industry. So I'm done. Awesome. Brent? Well, you know, kind of get back to this idea about creating a personalized experience. I think you're already seeing it. And it's been kind of interesting to me to see kind of the evolution of all these field days that have popped up here, you know, over the past year, more and more companies are starting to take 
what they're doing directly to your farm or to a centralized farm and, and bringing folks in and for the same amount of money and, and probably less in, uh, logistics that, that are involved in going from show to show to show, they can bring in the people they want to go in, people that are probably more hot prospects than than people just kicking around a farm show. And, and they can give them that one-on-one -on -one experience, whether it's a ride and drive or, or classes of some sort. And, uh, you know, start building that relationship and cultivating that relationship, not just for the current generation, but if they're bringing along kids or, or grandkids or what have you, you know, just uh, building from there and, and doing it in a way that you don't have all the white noise behind you, all the other exhibitors that uh, you, know, you go to these shows and there's hundreds, if not thousands of exhibitors at these shows. And a lot of these people show up and they're there for a day, maybe two days. It's hard for them to take it all in and it's so overwhelming. But as a marketer, if I can get you alone and get your undivided attention and, and start building a collaboration. And that's always kind of the key word, a partnership, a, a teammate, a collaborative effort. Th then all of a sudden you're on the same page and it doesn't feel like I'm trying to sell you something. It's a matter of us working together to solve whatever your problems or pain points are. And, and I think you're going to see more of that. that. That's just kind of the the way this stuff is is going. And, and you know, the pandemic really kind of accelerated that for you know, a lot of manufacturers. And, and I, th I think that's kind of the, the route this is all headed. Yeah. And Gary? Yeah. So if the, if the question is about um, what's going to result, are there going to be, what, what would happen if there's no live farm shows? I um, We're going to talk a little bit about some of the changes. I think, I think that there, um, there have been, I mean, there have been farm shows historically for many, many years, 70 plus or more years. Um, they are the best way for a company to make a face-to-face -face contact with a new prospect, establish a lead, and introduce their product on the farmer, grower, or dairyman's initiative. There's something different about a sales rep for a company, whether it's a dairy semen company or a farm equipment manufacturer or a consultant, when you go driving up to the dairyman's or the grower's address and ask to see the decision maker, the CEO, what's your percentage? Not very darn good. When you've got your display at a farm show, an exposition, the people that are there buying the ticket, supplying their information into the database and coming around to Horde's Dairyman's space or to Crohn's space because, because they're interested in it. That's a whole different mindset that exists between the marketer and that business person consumer. And, um, and that's a huge advantage to the exhibitors. We used to deal with over a thousand exhibiting companies at the, at the Tulare show. And the worst thing that I, the worst thing I wanted to hear from any of my exhibitors is the major reason I'm here is because the competition's here and we've got to show the flag. That's like, get that, get that mindset out of there. It's all about, Brent, cutting through that noise. What are you going to do to be sure that the that the dairyman or the apple grower or the citrus producer is going to seek you out? 
we put so many exhibitors on that show site, there was no way they could get around and see them all, even in the three days. And so we really emphasized to those growers that we promoted to uh, that here's here's the information. We put it out uh, in a magazine format with maps. Here's the information. You better you better come prepared with your boots because it might be raining, and you better use this to prepare your uh, time, your three days on the show site. I think just to wrap up, I think shows create that energy and enthusiasm and that conversation about the crop prospects and and the profitability, the chance to see new products, the 24 months that we've been off without shows, all the new products that are coming to light. And it's a great example of America's free enterprise system, supply and demand and the chance, the chance for the buyer and seller to come together and have a great face-to-face conversation. I love that. <laughs> Andy? Well, I, I agree with all the parts of it, what everybody has been saying. I think the important thing here is that the personal human dynamic uh, a live show provides cannot be replicated virtually. Uh, sooner or later, you have to shake hands. You have to have dinner. You need to walk around and look at the equipment. Um, so going forward, I agree very much with Gary that a show, the person-to-person connection, and Brent and Jim and Jess, um, you have to make that connection. It's one thing for us to have our uh, Zoom meetings corporately uh, we all know each other and yes, our relationships build. And just like our group right now today, um, yes, I feel very connected to everyone on this panel. Um, But that's different than when you're talking a customer and a seller. Uh, That's not what we're doing or what we do in our companies. So I agree, we have to have the personal human connection. So you guys hold a retreat for farmers where they can relax, Uh, socialize, meet with companies that they're really interested in. So can you tell me why you started this and, you know, how, yeah, what was the need and how does it work? Um, Well, long before the current challenges of farm shows, uh, which has to do with declining farm populations, uh, exhibitors wanting more interaction with those people they needed to show, we recognized that need and the opportunity to bring companies and dairy producers together. And so we started Dairy Exchange 15 years ago. It's a special by invitation only event. And the setting is relaxed and it has helped each of them, both producer and dairy farmer or producer and uh, vendor, uh, build longstanding productive relationships. So that's what it's about. That's awesome. very intense. It's a three-day event. Right. And so, so really, why was the shift? Like, where did you go? Was there, a, was there a trigger or was this just a great idea? And, and you said, let's try this. Um, basically, we listened to manufacturers and we also listened to large herd dairy farmers saying that they wanted to connect, uh, but at a higher level. And we heard from manufacturers that 
we really want to connect to the owners of very large operations. And so that was the impetus. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And uh, Brent, this um, question is for you. Uh, Much of what you do, like I said before, involves a lot of creativity. And so do you think as we move forward that all companies uh, will have to get more creative to survive? And, And if yes, then in what ways? Well, I feel like it's imperative and, you know, it's kind of fresh in my brain because I'm just coming off a farm progress show here uh, earlier in the month. And, you know, there's hundreds of exhibitors at these shows. And again, they're spread out over such a large expanse and and people are coming for such a short time. And especially if you're a smaller exhibitor and you don't have the money of some of the big guys to to throw away, you you know, you think about like, uh, I uh, saw so at Farm Progress Stone Seeds, which is a part of Bear. Yeah, they're giving out five gallon buckets. And I, I must have seen a million of those buckets floating around Farm Progress show. Great selling impression. You know, it's hard to say if those are going to lead to conversions down the road. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I think really the work is going to begin before the farm show begins. You know, if you've got, if you're not already and you haven't already created some sort of robust, uh, email marketing campaign to uh, you know reach out to these people to let them know you're going to be there, what lot number you're going to be in, what you're going to have, or even creating some sort of a special VIP experience for them when they get to your booth, you know, to let them know you're going to have people there who can address your specific concerns and you can talk. And uh, again, as I was saying earlier, kind of, kind of uh, but get on the same page as teammates. I think, you know, building those kind of relationships, and it is all, all about relationship, is going to be more beneficial. I, I do understand, you know, and I, I don't disagree with the point about, you know, this being a first point of contact for some people. That's where you're going to get some leads and, and you know, some fresh leads. Yes, I think that the shows are still valuable for that. But I think, you know, if at the end of the day, you know, the – uh uh, the, the metric is is sales. The, then you've got to find a way to to start building those one on one relationships. And then after the show, it, you know, you got to continue to build that database throughout the show, collecting email, collecting phone numbers for SMS, all, all that kind of stuff. Then it's how do you create an experience going forward? And part of that is digitally, it, you know, bu- building a, you know a a great uh, social media platform. You know, building a, a, a you know great interactive experience on the web where people can go and get blogs and podcasts and, and short form video and so forth. And, and the key to all that is making it interactive because this needs to be an ongoing and continuing discussion. So, you know, within that, there there's many many different strategies that that folks can employ. But you know, if you're just showing up at shows, hanging that banner and hoping that the leads are going to come, you're not doing enough these days. I mean, it has to it has to be proactive before the show, and then you have to follow up after the show. And and really, that's just where the work begins is at the show. Then, you know, once you leave the show, then you really got to double down. Yeah, that's, that's it. And Gary, in your years at Tulare, you successfully came up with lots of ideas to modernize farm shows at the time, um, providing greater value to producers, but also to exhibitors. So what advice do you have for those planning farm shows today? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, a lot of these, so a lot of these ideas I'm going to share, you know, they certainly were not my ideas. We tried to stay really closely connected to our exhibitors. We had an exhibitor advisory committee that we spoke with a couple times a year as a group. 
Uh, we surveyed we surveyed our attendees. So here's how we how, here's how we went about doing that, and that is that every every attendee at the show uh, was eligible to fill it out, give us their data, name, address, and phone number, and enter a drawing for a Ford, Chevrolet, or Dodge pickup, uh, and and we gave one away each year to one of the attendees. And that database of who attended was at the core of our marketing efforts when we, when we uh, distributed our show publication in advance. Um, that, was, that was one of our motivating factors for doing that. Let me be really clear, as a past president of the North American Farm Show Council, shows Number one purpose is to assist the exhibiting companies generate leads. If they sell things, then great, then good on them. But there are some companies that would show up at Tulare, for example, and they, and they would not sell off of the lot. They would take a name, address, phone number, and supply it to a dealer rep for follow-up after the show, but it was primarily for lead leads developments. Um, I think in terms of advice for other show planners, customer service for the attendees, the farmers, ranchers, dairymen, growers, has to be job one. What they're, what they're spending their time and money and effort to go to a show to find crone or find hordes and, and to do some business or to find out about their technology, that's a huge investment on their part. And so if the, if the attendees are saying, you know, Gary Schultz at World Ag Expo, you've got to do a better job with and fill in the blanks, show managers need to be really attentive to that and listen and produce on that. I think it's really important for show managers to produce some return on investment to the exhibiting companies. And we heard about that today. One of the things we did um, back in the early 2000s was hired a firm in the Northeast and they compiled data that showed that at the World Ag Expo, we generated a $2.1 billion economic impact into the economy. Not just the travel and the hotels and the meals and stuff, but the purchasing that resulted at the show or as a result of the leads generated at the show for the exhibitors. And that's something that show managers need to talk about and remind those exhibitors and to help the exhibitors with their efforts in generating leads and supplying uh, data. I think that's just really, really important. Pre-planning, grower pre-planning is just very important. So I came to Tulare from the Pacific Northwest and managed the Spokane Ag Expo for about six years. And the two shows are very similar, but they're also very much not alike. In the North American Farm Show Council, Spokane's probably one of the very smallest. Happens just two weeks before Tulare, but there's likely to be two or three feet of snow on the ground, right? And it's a smaller show. So our emphasis to growers was different. We brought, we brought in the Secretary of Agriculture. We brought in Art Douglas, this renowned climatologist, put on seminars and the seats would all be full. 2,000 people 
until until the expo opened and the seats all left to go kick tires uh, in the trade show. But it's still something that can be provided for those uh, for those farmers getting them there. I would suggest to show managers and show planners, they better be thinking about their show site. There's, there's indoor shows at convention centers. There's shows that travel around and rotate. But what we've heard, and the Tulare show has been in existence for you know close to 60 years, is that an outdoor show site without a concrete floor where they can come and go and it's really user-friendly and can take the wear and tear of equipment. Let me have my same space year in and year out if the rules allow um, and have it the same date, especially Tuesday to Thursday during business hours. So we get the professional decision maker on the farms and ranches there. We do not want a replica of the county fair. Those are all really key things to be listening to your exhibitors about. And I think that's important. The last thing, Chrissy, I would just say, or a bit of advice, is that there's, especially now that we're coming out of COVID, and eventually we're going to be able to accept more trade teams, international trade teams in from overseas, um, is that the Department of Commerce has a program. It's the Trade Event Partnership Program. It used to be the International Buyer Program, and shows can apply to be part of that. And, and here in Little Tulare, California, we expanded our reach to international buyers in a huge way after we started participating in those programs. We could, we could leverage a little bit of investment and our Department of Commerce took it from there, promoting our show as a, a buyer destination for trade teams. And we increased our registrations from about 250 to 2,500 just in the time I was there by participating with that and leveraging the marketing assets that are available. That is excellent advice. And um, Jim, as a manufacturer, as you well know, the cost of going to farm shows has gotten astronomical. So what have you learned over the last 18 months about not going to shows? I guess uh a couple of things. One, that we can be successful without the direct or indirect cost of shows, uh, at least being at every show. We did learn the shows that have value, and we learned the ones that don't. I also think it's important to know that I'm coming from a perspective of what's called a short line compared to John Deere, which is a major, okay? Crone is, some may call a major short line, but without parsing words, this is this whole community, this industry is supported by all kinds of people, not just people that weld steel, okay? Uh, from seed providers to fertilizer people, technology people. Some of these businesses, these smaller businesses, it's the trade shows, the only place they're going to connect. And, you know, I just want to say that I'm coming from the position of a manufacturer of only hay and forage and a very finite market group of cattle producers or dairy farmers or, you know, people that we're connecting, you know, the row crop, uh, cash crop guys, uh, yeah, they know about Chrome, but a lot of them don't even know who we are. And so, you know, I'm coming from my perspective. Um, and uh, 
so we, you know, and we, the way we do shows at Crone, we're a family company, 115 years old, and we're very traditional, but it's a collaborative decision to either go or not go to a show and exactly what we're going to do. It's a collaboration between the dealers, our field sales team, our marketing people in the office, and ultimately, I hate to say it, the accountants, you know, and these are hard decisions, but we do it together. But our, our goal is, okay, what is the value we're bringing to the show? And what is the value we're bringing to the customer? And and try to make sure that we're doing what's best for Chrome, what's best for the dealer, and what's best for the customer. And, you know, when I, you know, I listen to everybody on this call who I'm impressed with what they're saying. I agree with a lot of what's being said. You know, I think it is important that manufacturers, like anybody, um, come prepared and do what they can to be successful, just like they do every day. Uh, when you talk about show organizers, I have one big of, you know, bit of advice. If you compare how we're treated for, say, for example, at the Louisville show compared to how we're treated at the New York farm show, yeah. they're both indoor shows, but how a manufacturer is respected and treated and served, it's black and white. We're welcome in New York and we're not hit with a bunch of silly fees and union requirements. And it's it, some of these bigger city shows, they've become cost prohibitive. It's not like we don't want to go, but it's ridiculous. I mean, six figures to go to a trade show, to watch a bunch of drunks go to a tractor pool. It's a tough decision for me. But at the New York Farm Show, we are engaged with producers and we have a show organizer that is is their main concern is our success and they have staff that's knowledgeable and they're there to help us from the day the iron starts showing up to the day it leaves. And from my perspective, if I'm going to decide where my money goes, I'm going to go where I'm being supported. I'm welcome. And I'm treated like a valued customer. When you look at some of these other shows in these cities, where and I'm sure I you know I apologize I've never been to Tilaire so Gary sorry I've always wanted to yeah, go yeah, yeah. I've never I'll, made it I'll, I'll give them that message I'll guarantee you they will do this show in February of next year just for you <laughs> Well I'll be there for <laughs> sure sorry. I've always wanted to go but you know uh but the ones I've been at the ones the shows that have the unions on the forklifts you can't even bring your own forklift they charge you 500 bucks to even call them. It's ridiculous. And uh, so those are the shows you want to know what's on our crosshairs right now. The shows that don't bring the value and that stick it to us with the little fees and uh, we'll find other ways to market. And the last thing I'd like to say is that the shows that show the most benefit to us are the ones where in our industry in iron, when we have a dealer in a given market, and the dealer supports the show effort, we're more successful. But if we're at a, a trade show, and unfortunately, Crone isn't everywhere, if we're in an area that doesn't have a dealer, we're not successful. We don't have dealer participation. And it's just a huge opportunity cost of all my staff, all our staff being out of territory. And um, so that's another element. And uh, I think that's all I'd like to say on that topic. Thank you, Chrissy. Yeah, Jim, Jim great. See, I would just want to yes. add, I, Jim, I would just say amen to what you had to say about the differences in shows, whether it's the add-ons 
the union restrictions and all those sorts of things. Show organizers have choices, their location, their venues, and their mindset. And it goes back to the customer service attitude that I emphasize to show organizers uh, when it comes to the exhibitors and the attendees. They better be listening. And Chrissy, I'll guarantee you, show organizers that view this webinar will be listening to what Jim had to say. Absolutely. And and I couldn't agree with Jim more. Um, I've been to hundreds of trade shows across North America and hands down New York Farm Show takes the cake for treating us well. It is, sorry, I also have never been to World World Egg because it's always the same week as Louisville. So, but not Shame. next year, not next year. It's two different weeks. So I'm going to try my best. But uh, as an exhibitor where New York Farm Show treats, and, and I say that to every show organizer I meet, treat us well, make us feel like we're important and, and we're going to keep coming back. And, uh, and they do a fantastic job. Absolutely fantastic. Um, uh, Jessa, I have a question for you moving on. Uh, your model of virtual trade show is significantly different than most um, that we've seen of these digital shows over the last year. So can you tell me how yours work? Uh, what was what was successful? And really, I guess what you learned was unsuccessful too, as you went along. Right. So yeah, for us, compared to a farm show, our, our group of apple growers, apple industry people to get, get together once a year, it's usually in August, mid-August before harvest really kicks into gear. Um and we have a really intimate group of people, about 300 on a great, great year. We're up to like 325. Um, but it is it is all of, you know, the C-suite, um, the buyers, the people, the people that make the decisions just because obviously it's about it's almost harvest time. Um, so the real worker bees are, you know, getting prepping for harvest. So we have a really intimate group that's really engaged, tons of business meetings happening on site in Chicago in August every year. But listening to feedback of what you guys are talking about, about the event organizer, event organizer. Um, so we don't, the space that we have, we don't have exhibit trade show booth space, but there are just tons of meetings that happen there all the time. And so initially pre-COVID, um, we were planning for August of 2020 to implement um, everyone come in like a day early before the conference education sessions kick off, come in a day early, set up in the ballroom, kind of like a speed dating format where we set up booths. We have our sponsors, vendors on one side of the table, and then you schedule, you know, 10, 15 minutes speed dating meetings um, and kind of go throughout the day before the show kicks off. That way everyone's already met up and engaged. Um, but we had great plans for that. We were going to run out suites, you know, big revenue generator, of course, and then COVID hit. And so we were like, how, how can we, we had to, you know, pivot our education content virtually, but how can we still monopolize on our, our sponsors were still so supportive um, in, you know, keeping, maintaining their, their level of sponsorship. So how do we get them engaged virtually? And so we ended up coming up with, um, it ended up, it's like an online scheduling platform and we titled it Core Connect. And so we had set out days around our annual conference where people registered in advance um, early August. So two weeks in advance where the dates around our conference were available where people could schedule meetings around it. And we actually did it the week after the virtual conference too, just so that people could follow the conversation. So really an online platform for scheduling these meetings around the dates of our conference. And that. Of one of the unsuccesses, I would say that first round, August of last year, the platform, 
The software that we used was not really that user-friendly. So that was one of our growing pains. Um, with a lot of our growers scheduling the meetings, you actually had to be sitting at a PC in order to use the software and, and do the meeting instead of being able to do it on their phone. Um, so some growing pains with that. Um, also going up against that's such a busy time of year for our growers to be having these meetings. So maybe this isn't the best time of year to be doing it. Um, so just different things like that. And so growing pains that we came out of that, we decided we found a new software provider, user-friendly, great, great system, very clean. Um, and we ended up offering it again in May of this year. And so we set out a two-week block of time two days um, in each of the weeks where our growers registered, our sponsor, exhibitor, vendor, those people registered, everyone filled out company profiles. Um, there was a checkbox list of different things, products that our growers were listing list, um, on the market for, as well as listing the different sponsors, what products they had and what they sold. And so it was just this yeah, had a week period time to go in and request meetings with other people and schedule. And then the meetings kicked off over those two weeks. Um, a lot of business deals happened, which was great. And so then we just followed up this again in August with that same platform. Um, we were actually able to meet in Chicago this year, August 19th and 20th, which was a huge victory for us. But we were able to use that Core Connect platform and open it up early August, all of our attendees. And so they were able to go in and schedule meetings like two weeks in advance before they were on site in Chicago. And so the days before the conference, um, I mean, the hotel was just, I always go in a day early, just prepping everything, but people were already there having meetings. Um, there was just so much buzz and excitement for people um, on site. And they, it was, the system worked where they were able to schedule the meetings in advance instead of waiting till the show kicked off on Thursday, they were already having the meetings and getting the conversation going. Um, so great, great success in the end. I think that's something that we'll still build on. We opened it up to all attendees, um, complimentary this year of just being able to, you know, check in, send messages, schedule appointments, but thinking now of how we can turn that into a revenue generator. Um, but I think it was just a good combination. And this year we're, we were able to execute where we were meeting in person and could schedule these, um, appointments virtually in advance, but just kind of a combination system. But I do like of having touch points throughout the year for our vendors, exhibitors, exhibitor sponsors to be able to communicate with our growers. Um, so just in person in our Chicago conference. Yeah, that's that's great. And I've heard great feedback about what you guys are doing and Thank that you. it's efficient. You're not just sitting one of your employees down in front of a computer to sit there for a day or two, right? So um, it's it's real quality conversations. And I think that's that's a really good point. And yeah. seeing things from the digital perspective. So what have you witnessed over the last year that gives you hope for embracing ag, for ag embracing the technology? Like, has it been hopeful through this? Oh, gosh, I would say that was, I've been at US Apple for eight and a half years now. And that's my mind still keeps getting blown about the technology that is going on in the Apple industry. So I think they are always open to embracing change. Um, I would say the Zoom feature and sitting down on meetings and turning a camera on was definitely outside of their realm of expertise. But I think that was for all of us, too, and figuring out how to do it on their phone or not. But I'd say, I mean, very optimistic with this group. I mean, the thing about Apple growers that have inspired me over the year, this is, they think, you know, 10, 15, 20 years in advance. I mean, we've been through a couple of years of off, off season with COVID and all that stuff too, but Apple growers just think long-term. And so 
they always keep me optimistic. You know, they're thinking about planting a tree now of a variety that's hopefully up and coming that they won't really harvest three to five years from now. So technology is always coming into play with, you know, research of rootstock or how to mechanize harvest or robots, you know, packing boxes and pallets. And so, yeah, it's ongoing, but they're always open to learning new things and growing. Um, Yeah, they're just a great, great group of people that keep me inspired and motivated all the time. That's really awesome. And uh, Gary, thinking about growers, uh, what do you believe that growers, farmers, producers want, want most from a farm show? What are they looking for? Solutions. You know, I, I would have, we'd be putting up a, a show doing move in and I'd have somebody in the media come along like Brent and say, so, so Gary, price of commodities is all, you know, down in the toilets and price of, price of input is high and the, you know, the milk income is low and, and why would anybody spend their time coming to a farm show when they need to be concentrating on making a profit? And I said, I would say exactly. They're going to be here because we've got answers. And they're going to figure out a way how to trim some costs, how to market that milk better. Maybe, maybe some information on a citrus rootstock that has just come out from UC Riverside. Those are all things that can turn a loss on a farm around into a profit. So then you fast forward a few years and the pendulum in agriculture swings back and forth and prices are all up. Boy, the bank loans are getting paid off. Life is good. The same media guy comes along and says, Gary, why would somebody need a farm show? You told me that they're here for solutions. Now they've got some things figured out. Now what? And I and I would say because because now they've got some cash in their pocket and they've got the ability to buy that hay rake or that new swather or that new cotton picker or put in the new drip line irrigation that they've been putting off for a while. And this is where they're going to make the contact with the people to follow up later to make that long-term decision. And so growers come to farm shows. Sure, they want it. Sure. They want to see their neighbor at the Sundale Steak Sandwich booth. And sure, they want to go in and see the Cooperative Extension Seminar or the seminar put on by the ladies and the TV personalities on a new recipe using raisins or something like that, but they're here mostly for solutions. And our our surveys show that. Our surveys came back with the percentage of people walking through those gates that were the decision makers and what types of solutions they were looking for year in and year out. And the and the good show organizers can tell you that data, Jim. Yeah, that's that's important to think about. And and Andy, as a member of the media in agriculture, have you seen any shifts in how producers want to engage with companies? In general, no. Uh, farmers are traditionally very loyal to their local dealer uh, supplier, and I doubt that will ever change because it's a personal relationship. They often are living in the same community. Um, and they enjoy seeing each other at shows. Um, it's an uncle or a relative or 
some other connection. However, the shift we have seen over the last 20 years is in how with manufacturers. And I think this touches a little bit about what Jim was talking and certainly taps in uh, of this new dynamic. Farmers, large-scale farmers, find comfort and confidence in being connected directly to someone in upper management at a major manufacturer before they make a major purchasing decision. I think that's what has changed on that level. Uh, they're still very happy to then work with their local dealer and the better, as Gary points out, the uh, farm show management delivers a good return on investment for the exhibitor, the happier the exhibitor will be. And also the farmer coming to it will feel like they're engaging with companies who are really trying to provide those solutions. Yeah, for sure. And Brent, from your perspective, working with an array of media types, what would producers benefit most from as we move forward into this new era? Well, if you're talking about trying to get coverage and we get bombarded with it, especially in advance of these shows, you know, you get a lot of news releases, come see us. We're going to be you know, unveiling the latest and greatest product or service, or, or, or we've got this expert on tap to talk about this subject or that subject. I think the first thing to do, you know, from my standpoint, is to position yourself as a subject matter expert. And the good ones are always doing this. You know, don't come at it, you know, from a standpoint of look at this cool product or service and you need us kind of position, you, you know, because journalism, whether it's either broadcast or print, you, you know, it's supposed to be about objectivity. And a lot of times there's this kind of cat and mouse game uh, between exhibitors, marketers, you know, manufacturers, seed companies, biologicals, insurers, you know, fill in the blank. They're just trying to use the media to get what amounts to free advertising. So, you know, that's kind of a huge turnoff to media outlets. But from my standpoint, I'm more apt to give you coverage if you can speak credibly about a topic you know, within your area of expertise, you know, so it'll educate people whether they're going to buy your product or not. And then we can back into your sales pitch, you know, near the end of the interview. And again, the savvy ones understand this and they're doing this, but there are still plenty of blatant offenders out there, I think, that uh, are, are just kind of trying to, to get the free publicity where they can. Now, if I was to knock on their door for advertising, then all of a sudden they'd forget who I was, I think. But, uh, you know, so there's always this little cat and mouse here, but you know, that's, that's the biggest thing. Come in as a subject matter expert and you, you, you're, you're apt to get that coverage. And I think this is an interesting industry. I, I've worked in other industries, you know, covering where there are more gray areas, more partnerships between a manufacturer and a media outlet than you might see, you know, in, in you know, other sectors. So, you know, it's, it's something that's going to continue to evolve over time. And I think COVID has kind of pushed it in that direction now with all the virtuals, with all the live streams, with all the social media <laughs> partnerships and so forth. So it's going to be interesting to see where it all goes. But I think that the, that the more you can come at it from a genuine uh, perspective of trying to educate the, the consumer rather than just trying to, to, you know, come with your hand out and, and bombard them with a sales pitch, I think is going to be much more effective. Yeah, I definitely couldn't agree with you more. And uh, the next question is for everyone. We'll all take a turn. Uh, so what do you think was the most positive aspect of taking the year off from shows? Andy, we'll start with you. Obviously, not having shows was a great disappointment to everyone. Exhibitors, farmers. There's a single positive result that I could see farmers that they absolutely want to connect with ag manufacturers. 
Uh, and because there were no shows, um, they even more heavily relied on farm media to make those connections. Uh, proof, uh, since 2010, the Ag Media Council has conducted, documented that their number one resource for farmers to first learn about new agricultural products, services, equipment, suppliers, by a six to one margin over farm shows is farm print media. As one example, at Hordes Dairyman, um, increase since COVID began and the number of direct inquiries to our magazine about things they've read in the magazine, including advertisements, people calling us wanting to know about a product. Um, we've also seen a strong increase in subscriber interaction with our advertisers on our website, e-newsletters, uh, social media channels, and it has not stopped since the return of shows this year. I think all of this indicates that farmers are willing to now search even more uh, for product information instead of just relying on a farm show once a year. Um, they want to know what's new all year long. And it's in their hands with the magazine and it's at their fingertips on a computer. Um, so that's what I think. So uh, Jesso, what was the most positive part of uh, aspect of taking the year off? I think for all of us generally in life, it gave us the time to kind of step back, uh, regroup and just evaluate different things that we were doing. Um, so I think just that space and that time to just look at the bigger picture instead of just being caught up in that rat race all the time. So um, I would say the Core Connect, that platform is something we were brainstorming about doing. But once COVID hit, then it's like, okay, well, now is the time. Let's actually do this. And um, so, yeah, just that space to step back time, reflect, and um, make some improvements. We were able to make some improvements with our commerce that we just had in person, different things that we've been wanting to do over the years that we just just hadn't gotten to do. And then virtually, we kind of streamlined things. And then we were back in person. It's like, oh, okay. Then we were able to squeeze it in. So, so yeah, just just time of reflection and to uh, improve things, make, make time for that. Great. And Jim? Yeah, I, I, I guess when I was a kid, uh, there were ads that we were all going to starve someday and uh, scary in the seventies, but people find a way to be more efficient. And uh, to Gary's point about finding solutions, I don't care how good the market is. People always want to find a better way. And, and I think shows have a relevance in that. And, you know, and I agree with, you know, with Andy and, uh, and with what Jessa said, a hundred percent, you know, you know, the, the reality is farms are consolidating and our buyers are changing. We still have to deal with a family farm. At the same time, we have to deal with a corporate farm that's being, that's owned by private equity and don't know a thing about apples or hay or anything. They just equity people that, this is one of part of their portfolio and somebody runs a farm. Some of those people have no interest in a farm show. They just want personal service because they're, so, they're, they're big corporations. And, um, you know, the beautiful thing is what I learned over the last uh, 18 months is I was reminded that human beings, especially in a free market unencumbered with a bunch of baloney rules can do great things. And I'm, really proud of what our group did, what our company did. I'm, I'm really proud of what our society has done as a whole. 
And uh, I'm, I'm just proud of facing an obstacle in my lifetime that was big. And we rose to the challenge. And uh, people can still go to the store and get food. Now, bacon might cost 20 bucks a pound in a month or two. But, hey, we'll deal with it. And uh, I'm just glad well, since it's my last chance. It. I'm sorry? It'll be worth it. Yes, because it's again, it's bacon, it's the dessert of meats. But I, since it's my last chance to talk, I want to say to Jessa, I'm really happy I learned today that the apple is the number one fruit. Thank you. I am an apple eater. Thank you very much. Gary and Andy, uh, getting to meet you today has been an honor. And I hope to get to know you even more because I think there's a lot I can learn by listening to you two um, uh, veterans of this industry. And, um, you know, uh, I know we kind of lost Derek. He's probably listening, but his picture's gone. He's busy at the show. Um, Brent, um, I'm curious if you're going to play the drums before this is over. And I, I really enjoyed your, what you're saying about manufacturers going for a free ride instead of bringing content. I agree with you hundred percent. If we bring content to the table, then we deserve some airtime. If not, it is a sales spiel and I'm with you because it matters to the people. And lastly, um, you know, Chrissy, thanks for the forum. Thanks for inviting me to talk, even though, you know, I'm kind of anti-show and a little bit, if you want to boil it down. And I really enjoyed the opportunity to try to explain my position and uh, to meet these fine people. So thank you. And I'm going back on mute. And if I remember correctly, Jim, this was your idea. You called me when I was in my yard one day. You're like, this is a topic. We got to do this. So <laughs> So thank you. Well, it's a thought. I didn't know if it'd yeah. be interesting and time will tell if it is, but I really enjoyed the process and I wanted to thank everyone for the time today and yeah. for letting me be here. That's awesome. And uh, Brent, so uh, yeah, what did you, what was the most positive aspect of taking a year off? Well, for me, it was a chance to do some of the things that in the back of my mind, I knew needed to get done while I was traveling. You know, 2019, I had the show in 19 different states and was constantly on the go. I had already been in four states doing the show in early 2020 before. I mean, we went from going 100 miles an hour to just a, a screeching halt. And, you know, uh, talking to you now from my basement where I've been for about the last 18 months with the exception of just a couple uh, of short trips here or there. So, uh, you know, for me, I looked at it as a chance to really build an audience and, and figure out what the best model is for delivery of content these days. And, and for us, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of a hybrid. It's going to these shows where, where we can go to these shows. It's it's partnering up with people and in, in creating uh, live stream content. You know, I, I had been in, I can't tell you how many different live stream seminars about how to create live streams, how to create content that will people will will care about. And I had never had a chance to do it because we were always doing, you know, live to tape stuff from, from farm shows. And I'm like, okay, well, I can't go to farm shows and I need content week in and week out because I operate 52 weeks a year. So how are we going to get this done? Well, I guess this is happening. So let's figure out this live stream deal. And, you know, I, I've now done hundreds of these things. And, uh, you know, so it was an opportunity to kind of kick me in the butt a little bit and get this thing going and, and try to figure that out. And in the meantime, I've been able to repurpose a lot of that content for, uh, you know, for podcasts and for radio shows and and for social media and so forth. So I really felt a strong responsibility during the height of the lockdown to put the pedal to the middle and create something that, 
people would stick with on the other side of the lockdown. As things started to open up, I felt like the people who were really kind of hanging with you and getting their information from you during that quarantine period were going to be your audience going forward. And, you know, and and you look at two kind of disparate audiences there. You've got the, you know, average age of a farmer being 59 years old. Okay. They're going to receive content differently than Gen Zers, millennials, uh, you know, who are up and coming decision makers on the farm. So I've got to be able to speak to one audience, but by the same token, cultivate this next generation, bring them along with me as advocates for my brand. So, uh, you know, there's just a lot of of thought that goes into how, how do I reach each one of those uh, most effectively and how can we build something that's going to be sustainable moving forward? Because that's that's the ultimate goal. Yeah, that's awesome. And Gary? You know, I want to I want to respond to something Brent had to say about, you know, how to, how do I figure out who I'm going to of this group of exhibitors? Who do I who am I going to interview? Who's got something that's genuine? genuinely new to talk about when when we traveled to Paris which was generally regarded as the world's largest farm show back in the early 90s one of the ideas we brought back was a competition for the the top 10 new products so we put our own group together mostly a group of uh, growers farmers dairymen and allowed any exhibitor that wanted to nominate uh, one of their products um, as a new product, and it had to be new. It couldn't be just a new a new brochure, a new paint job. And so they poured through the hundreds of nominations, and we came up with a, a top ten new product list. Because every every year, the very first thing that a that a radio or a newspaper guy or a magazine guy like Hordes would ask me is the show manager would be, so Gary, what's new this year? If I've only got one exhibitor to go see that's got something brand new and, you know, who do I send them to? Well, now we've got 10 and we erected a special pavilion. We had data there. We allowed the exhibitor to put an example in place or close by, and we sent them to see the new products. And so the radio guys knew, here's 10 that I can interview in advance or at the show. And that's, and that's just been uh, a great addition. I would just say, you know, in terms of taking a full year off, taking a full 12 weeks off in between shows, I, I compare it to uh, a college football team being given a bye week. And I've got, so I consult with about 24 CEOs currently. And some of them are exhibitors at World Ag Expo. And when the World Ag Expo announced that they were going to cancel February of 2021, one of my questions to them was, okay, what are you going to do? to backfill that marketing activity. Some of them didn't know, but by the time I circled back to them the next month, now they knew. And so sure they had, some of them had huge marketing budgets that were allocated towards the World Ag Expo. 
Some of them participated in the virtual as aspects, some of the seminars and webinars and stuff, and others did more in terms of direct marketing to the dairymen, growers, ranchers, farmers, um, and, uh, about their products and services. All of them that are exhibitors have had an extra 12 months to think about when we're gonna be in Tulare in February of 2022, what are we gonna do better and what are we gonna do differently? They've, they've had that bye week to prepare for the competition. And I think we'll just see some exciting things happen next year. Yeah, that's, that's great. Well, I, uh, I just got to say thank you to all of you. This was a really great discussion. I think there's a lot of value here um, for listeners, uh, both for potential exhibitors and for producers and for organizers, right? Um, there's a, a lot that we can learn here and it's, it's great that we can all share our experiences. And uh, thank you to everyone who's watching or listening. If you want more information, uh, links to uh, all the companies that these people represent will be in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to our North American Egg Spotlight on our uh, YouTube and Rumble channels. And the podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Amazon, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And have a great day, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to today's Egg Spotlight episode where we put the spotlight on people and companies doing great things for the agricultural industry. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or on your favorite podcasting platform and give us a five-star review. You can also follow us on YouTube and Rumble to see the video version of Ag Spotlight. Also, head on over to NorthAmericanAg.com to subscribe to our Industry Connect update newsletter. If you're interested in advertising opportunities, email us at connect at NorthAmericanAg.com. Thanks for listening. Fastline Auctions, the ultimate destination for online farm equipment auctions. Looking to list equipment? Fastline Auctions knows farmers, and farmers have trusted Fastline for their equipment needs for over 45 years. With unmatched digital reach and direct-to-farmer catalogs, they can find the right buyer for your equipment. Not to mention, they have the industry's lowest commission rates. And if you're looking for equipment to buy, you can bid with confidence. No buyer premiums, no reserves, just integrity. Fastline Auctions, your trusted platform for hassle-free, cost-effective farm equipment auctions. Visit fastline.com for more information. You can join us for a tour of the Fastline Auctions platform July 13th at 6.30 p.m. To register for this webinar, go to northamericanag.com slash fastline hyphen webinar. That's northamericanag.com slash fastline hyphen webinar to register now.